Ephesians chapter 6, if you can turn to that, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Amen. Good morning. Beloved. Beloved means loved ones. We all got that, right? Loved ones. Loved of the Lord because you're in Christ. A special, unique relationship. He refers to us as His beloved. Therefore, I say good morning, beloved. Ah, thank you. I'm the beloved too. The beloved of the Lord's. If you're visiting here, we want to welcome you, without a doubt, and to let you know that we've been studying through Ephesians now for about a year, and we're coming to the close of this letter. And when God calls one of His own to Himself, He grants you the faith to believe. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. It's a supernatural work of God. It's impossible for a sinner to come to Christ in his own strength, in his own power, without the supernatural work of God himself imparting the grace and the ability to believe in the first place. And when one comes to faith in Christ, granted by grace, the grace of God, the eyes of his understanding are lifted. Able to understand. The Word of God becomes real. The Word of God becomes alive because it is alive. But the one who pen, who spoke the words and the prophets and the apostles who penned the words of the living God, the Logos, Jesus Christ, who is the Word. Would God grants us faith to come, grants us the ability to believe, the faith to believe, the ability to understand, We are removed from being enemies of God and become His children, the Beloved. And what He doesn't do is He doesn't leave us standing in our own strength to be able to resist the enemy of our souls now, which is the devil. He grants us armor to stand and resist. And today we're going to look at the shield of faith. But before we get into that particular piece of armor... If you've been with us for any stretch of time, you'll recall Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that is really a transition. And it's a transition from the institute or the foundation of faith to the instrument of faith. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul just completes teaching the deep doctrinal truths of salvation. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Doctrine, theology, and then there's a transition from doctrine to duty. From position to practice. If you're in Christ today, 
you have everlasting righteousness imputed to your account. Righteousness by imputation. It's the righteousness of Jesus himself that covers you. It's the very pure, perfect righteousness of the Son of God that's been placed upon your account so that when God looks upon you, he sees perfect, pure righteousness in position. And because you've been granted the perfect, imputed righteousness of Christ, we're called, therefore, to live it out. To walk it out. To practice our position. To be who we are on the inside. To live outwardly that which we are inwardly. And therefore, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, I therefore, and that's the therefore. This is making the, the therefore makes the transition from doctrine to duty. I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. In other words, I beg you. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The word walk is frequently used in the New Testament to refer to daily conduct. I therefore beseech you to walk. Walk what? Walk worthy. Walking worthy is the idea of living your life in a manner that matches your position in Christ. Here's your position. Jesus met the law of the Father in perfect obedience in His humanity. God's law does not change. His standard does not change. To get to heaven, you have to be perfectly sinless. It's impossibility. That's grace. You've been granted grace. That's your position. Because you're positionally righteous, we're called to walk worthy of it. We're called to live a life that reflects the position. It means balance. To walk worthy. Of the what? Of the calling. This calling has to do with the so God's sovereign call to salvation. His sovereign call. Those who are sovereignly called by God, come. They come to Him. Many are called, few are chosen. This is the effectual call. It's known as an, the effectual call. It's effective. It has an effect. And the effect is belief. It's belief. If, any, if you believe in your mind, now if you're not a believer today, and you believe in your mind that you can just come to Jesus Christ anytime that you desire, or if you've been taught that you can just come to Christ anytime in your life when you desire, you have bought a package of lies. And if you believe that today and believe that you can go live a life to sow your wild oats and come to faith later on in your life, you're deceived. It is only by the grace of God and His compelling you to Himself that one is able to believe. And if you're in Christ today, you clearly understand that. And if you're not in Christ today and you think that and you're, you remain very indifferent to this gospel message, and perhaps you've heard it over and over again, if you remain indifferent, you have to understand that the teaching of the Word of God also has a negative effect. It causes hardness. It causes hardness. And the Lord said to Isaiah, preach to them the Word, because though they have eyes to see, they will not see. Though they have ears to hear, they will not hear. They're going to be hardened. So if the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart today and you haven't come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, I have prayed that God will bring you out of your deadness and into true spiritual life and true belief, not a said belief. It's of vital importance to the church today because 82 or 84% of Americans profess Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus said, when I return, many will cry out to me in that day. Many. Lord, Lord. Did we not do this, this, this in your name? And his, his response will be, depart from me. I never knew you. 
My biggest burden is for the, the people who profess Christ who are not in Christ. It used to be evangelism of the lost. There's a lot of dead people that think they're spiritually alive that sit in pews today. But for the believer, for the believer, our focus this morning is the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is imparted to those who've been granted saving faith. But before we get to our text, I want to back into the text through a couple other passages of Scripture that are triumphant passages of Scripture for the believer. Victorious, confident building passages of Scripture. And one of them is in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle John pens the words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who's begotten of him. There you have the Father and the Son. He who begot is the Father, him who is begotten is the Son. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments, they're not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this victory... That has over, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our what? Our faith. Our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcomers, it's a Greek word that means to conquer. It means to have victory. To have superiority. It means to have conquering power. Nike, you know your Nike shoes? Nike missile on the side of your shoes? Just do it. Just what? Just do what? Just win. Because you're a conqueror. Okay? We in Christ are conquerors. Overcomers. What what have we overcome, brothers and sisters? We've overcome the world system. We've overcome being in bondage to sin and death. Not in and of ourselves, but the one who indwells us. The one who's overcome death Jesus Christ. And He's in us and we're in Him. Therefore, because of His finished work, we are overcomers. We've overcome the world system. True believers. We have a union with Christ, an everlasting union that is unbreakable. Overcomers, victors, conquerors. Another victorious passage of Scripture is in Romans chapter 8. And here we have God's sustaining love and power for the believer. In beginning in verse 31 of chapter 8, the Apostle Paul pens these words by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake, 
We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you if you're truly in Christ. God's sustaining love and His sustaining power not only to save you but to uphold you in saving faith. If he loved you enough and loved me enough in our sinful condition to die for us, how much more then will he keep us by his life? Romans chapter 5. We looked at it last week. How much more? More than conquerors? Hooper Nikeo. Super victor. Super conqueror super nub double nike missile on your shoe super conqueror if you are in christ an overcomer of the world system an overcomer of satan because of the overcomer who lives in you and nothing can separate you from that love there's nothing that the true church of jesus christ needs to know more and understand more than their position in jesus christ everlasting righteousness perfectly righteous perfectly victorious. As soon as you lose sight of your position in Christ, you're defeated. If you think you can lose your salvation or you, you put something forth to hold to your salvation, how can you have joy? He births it in. That which he begins, he will complete. Now granted, there's a lot of people who think they're saved and they're not. But if one comes to true saving faith in Christ, by his grace, you have everlasting life. The union that's unbreakable. That's the victory. That's the victory. Overcomer. I was laying in my backyard. I had grass back there and there's so many trees the sun couldn't get to it so it would die and it was like a big dirt pit. So I went and invested in this NFL turf with the rubber deposits and all that. So now you can lay there and not get dirty. You can lay and not get wet unless it rains. It just, it just drains like nothing. It's amazing. So I'm laying out there the other day, looking up at the sky, thinking about things of the Lord, talking to the Lord, and all of a sudden this little sparkly thing caught my eye, so I focus in on it, and it's one of those um, party, silver party balloons. So I'm looking at you know when you see a balloon, you just follow it, and it's good, it disappears, right? It was going up, up, and away. There was nothing special about that silver balloon that caused it to go up, up, and away. It's what was in the balloon that enabled it to overcome gravity. There's nothing special about your body or about your brain or about my body or my lack of brains that enables me to overcome sin, death, and hell. Amen? It is who is in you and in me that enables us to overcome sin, death, and hell. That's who you are. An overcomer victor, conqueror because of the great conquering one, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You get that? Amen? Amen. Okay, now, to fight the daily battle. What, what about this daily battle that we fight? Because we're in a war, right? It's a spiritual war. We understand that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. It's an unseen war. 
to fight the daily battle, we must come to and apply Ephesians chapter 6. The what armor? The whole armor. God provides it. We're called to pick it up. God creates it. We're called to put it on. He enables. So today's battle focus is that of temptation. The temptation we're talking about today is rapid, fiery temptations that are shot to you like blazes of fire. You don't even see them coming. And we as believers must always be spiritually alert. And we have to discover early on these temptations and the stimulation of our weak flesh. Because when the fire hits, the weak, the weak flesh, it's a three-alarm fire, brothers and sisters, burn the house down. John Owen, that great Puritan preacher and theologian, in his work on the nature and power of temptation, said this, and I quote, Most men perceive not their enemy until they're wounded by him. They sleep without any sense of danger until others come and awake them and tell them that their house is on fire. They're blind to the reality that they're burning. Context, the over, temptation has overcome them. Owen goes on to say, we must learn to meet such temptations at the entry of thought with thoughts of faith concerning Christ on the cross and say, it is Christ that died, that died for such sins as these. End quote. This is called taking the shield of faith. Taking up the shield of faith. So the faith mentioned here is not saving faith. We're overcomers. Okay? That's saving faith. The faith in context here is living faith. A living faith which is a product of saving faith. It's a product of that which you are. You're saved. This is a trust in the promises and the power of God. Trust. Faith is a defensive weapon. It protects us from Satan's fiery darts. So far we have the belt. The belt is a belt of truthfulness. It's the belt of truth. The belt of truthfulness is a subjective dependence upon the objective truth of Scripture. It's subjective. It's us to walk in truthfulness, girded up. A Roman soldier would gird up the loins so he wouldn't trip over them. It would be like a guy going to a fight with a dress on, right? Any loose material, you pull it over the guy's head, you pummel him, he's down, he's dead. We're called to gird up the loins of our thinking. To walk in truthfulness. He gives us the breastplate of righteousness. Now we understand righteousness by imputation. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to or placed upon your account. That's only the basis for the breastplate. The breastplate of righteousness is righteousness that's imparted to you. It's the righteousness that we already have in Christ that we are called to live out. It protects our thinking and it protects our emotions. And then we have the, the command to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, to have those shoes, those hobnail shoes, tied on and tied up so that we can stand on uneven terrain when the enemy comes and he wants to mess with your mind that you no longer have peace with God. God hates you. You don't have peace with God. We can stand firm on the fact that we have peace with God as a believer. And then to our text, Ephesians 6.16. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now on your handout here, we've broken up the verse in order for us to break it down. And the first thing we want to look at is the above all. Above all. Taking the shield. Now, above all here is not above all as in greatest importance. It is not that. It means in addition to all these. In addition to, not above all in point of importance or value, but here it is, overall. Okay? Overall. See, when a, when a soldier would hold his shield, he was able to move it all about. Left, right, up, down, over his head, turn around. The shield, above all. It, it represents protection over every part of the body. It's also the idea that it covers or protects the other pieces of armor that we've been granted by grace. It's faith. It's a shield of faith. So faith, just like the shield, covers by grace the other parts of the armor or the other parts, spiritually speaking, of character or the character traits of a Christian. We have faith and hope as believers, right? What's hope? Hope is the desire for something to happen. Faith is the confidence that it will happen. If you're in Christ, as we'll learn when we get to the helmet of salvation, you don't have a hope that you're going to get saved, right? You're in the army, that's why you have a helmet. We have a hope of glory. As they say down south, glory. The hope of glory. That's the hope. In Christ, we have faith, which is the confidence of knowing that there's a finish line. We know that. Faith means trusting God, trusting His Word, trusting His death, trusting His resurrection, discovery watching people. So the shield of faith covers all the additional pieces of armor. If the enemy comes and he takes an arrow and he wants to blast out your feet to trip you up in your walk, you have the gospel shoes of peace on, you got the shield of faith, man, boom, to take the blow. He wants to crush the belt of truth. He wants to shred the belt of truthfulness so that you do not walk in sincerity. He wants to shred it in half. You got the shield to catch it. He wants to cave in the breastplate of righteousness. Shield. All you got to do is duck. So it's above all of the other pieces of armor. Faith covers righteousness. Right? Grace. Faith is a gift through grace. By grace. Hebrews 11.27, speaking of Moses, said, By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Speaking about that breastplate he wants to thrash, he wanted to thrash the breastplate of righteousness of our brother Joseph. In the house of Potiphar, when Potiphar's wife came to Joseph, 
had lustful eyes for him, wooing him, attempting to draw him to herself. Genesis 39.9 says, Joseph said, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he did? He ran. He ran. Faith guards the breastplate. It guards the other pieces. And we need grace to cover them, right? You cannot walk your Christian life without grace. You can't be saved without grace. You can't stand in confidence without grace. You can't proceed and walk faithfully without grace. It's grace. It's all grace. And it's granted to us by faith. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So above all, we take the shield. So above all is of the previous three pieces as well as the three that follow. So it's above all, not in importance, but covering it all. You've got the belt, you've got the breastplate, you've got the shoes, first, first three. And then after that, you have the helmet of salvation, you have the sword of the Spirit, and then prayer. And prayer isn't really a weapon. Prayer, as we will see when we get to it, is interwoven within each piece. It encompasses all that the believer is. So above all of those two sets of three is what above all means. Amen? We got that? So we have above all. Above all what? Taking. Taking. Taking the shield of faith. Here, with the word taking, it's an immediate action. Immediate action. Now, if you look at Ephesians, if we go back to our, our, our previous studies over the weeks, you'll notice with the other pieces here, the first three pieces, where he says, Therefore, in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, notice the verb, having. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then verse 16, above all, the verb changes, taking. Having is, is long-term. It's long-term. It signifies a fixed position. It means to go down or to sink into. It's the picture of wrapping yourself in a garment. To cover. It's a picture of permanence. And then you see the change. It means taking. It's an immediate, swift action. I refer to it as more of a, an immediate reaction. Because if you think about it, you'll have soldiers that are in the heat of battle. When the heat of battle is over, they be, uh, and they retreat, they become encamped together. Okay? Now here they are, they've got a fire going, they're eating, whatever they're doing, strategizing, whatever they're doing, they have their breastplate on, they have their shoes on, they have their breastplate on, but it's likely that as they're sitting there, they have placed or put down their shield of faith and taken off their helmet. But it's within reach. Because as soon as the battle fires up, they need to quickly and swiftly take up the helmet and take up the shield. You get it? We're constantly standing on the fact that we have peace with God. We're constantly <clears throat> living out a truthful life, a, a, a life of truthfulness based on the truth that we know, the Word of God. 
And we're walking out the righteousness that's been imparted to us. And we never want this shield of faith to be outside of the reach of our mind. So spiritually speaking, the first three elements are basic and they're, they're unending. Commitment, righteous, and confidence. Those first three pieces. Commitment, the belt. Righteousness, the breastplate. Confidence, the shoes. Illustration of this, and I read this, I don't know, years ago. Don't, I don't remember where, so I can't give credit to whoever wrote it. But the illustration that was used in regard to this was that of a baseball player. And a baseball player sits in a dugout. And a baseball player, as he's getting ready to bat, has on his uniform. He has his belt holding up his britches. He has his jersey on, giving him the team representing whose team he's on. Could be the breastplate. He has his cleats on. There you have the shoes. But he doesn't have a helmet on. He doesn't have a bat in his hand. And nowadays, they've got these little shield or guards if they've got a bad elbow or a bad ankle. Before they go bat, they put these things on to... to ricochet the ball at 95 miles an hour if they get hit in that injured spot, right? So if he's sitting on the bench and he's on deck and he's ready to go up to bat or to stand on deck, he has on his uniform, he gets up and he takes up his helmet, he takes up his bat, and he goes and stands at the ball that's about to be fired at him. So you got your long term and then your, man, the shield is not out of reach. It can't be out of reach. You become a three-alarm fire. So this is swiftness to lay hold of the faith that we have and the confidence that we have of knowing that this is what this means by what it says. The Word of God. And the fiery darts of temptation that are coming my way are definitely, I know they're contrary to the thinking and the nature of who Christ is. So by faith, I've got to put it up and quench the fire. And we're going to look at that in detail here in a second. So we see above all, we see the immediate verb of taking. Taking what? The shield of faith. The shield. First we'll look at the shield. For the Roman soldier in this day, in the ancient battle, there were two types of shields. You had one shield that was about 24 inches in diameter. You had two leather straps in it. The guy would stick his left arm in it. He had his right hand free to bear his sword. And he would go into battle like this. And the sword that he had was about a nine inch sword for it was for hand to hand combat. It was a prized possession of the soldier. You did not want to lose your shield. It would cause shame and embarrassment. So much so that a warrior would not let go of his shield. Even if he was on the ground and the enemy had his foot on his throat with a spear up ready to run it through him, he gripped his shield unto death. Unto death. That's not the type of shield we're talking about. There was another style or shield. The thurios, thuror, which means door. Door. It was two and a half feet wide. It was four and a half feet tall. It was made of light wood. And they would um, glue wood together. And then they would glue leather horizontally and then vertically over the top. And then they had it outlined with metal. So it was somewhat lightweight. And before they would go into the heat of battle, they would dip them in water. 
They would dip them in water and they could stand behind these things and they could draw up a large line and it would protect them individually but you could also lock these shields together. So you could have a front line of warriors locked together moving forward to penetrate the enemy and to protect yourself at the same time. So you could hold them down, you could put them up, whatever the case, whatever they needed to do, that's what they did. That's the shield we're talking about here. And I, I thought, man, what a beautiful picture of the individual protection of the individual believer and the corporate protection of the body of Christ. Come on now, amen? Whew. The Bible's so rich. So rich. And the purpose of these shields were to receive missiles of fire. Darts, arrows. And we'll look at it in detail in a second. But this shield is a shield of faith. This is not faith in and of itself. But rather the substance of true saving faith because everybody has faith of something. You all had faith here this morning to get in your car and to drive here and to not even think or consider that you may die in a, a head-on crash today. Correct? I don't know if that probably came through any of your minds. Probably not. Okay? The last time you flew in an airplane, you got on there by faith. The last burrito you sunk your teeth into, you didn't see what, whatever he put in it, that was by faith. Think about that the next time you go to Chipotle. faith now spiritually speaking there's all kinds of people that have faith to think they're saved when in reality they're not they think that because they believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ because they believe that Jesus was indeed the Christ they believe that Jesus did, in, did indeed die and atone for the sins of those who will believe that he did literally die and he did raise from the dead because they believe those facts they think they're saved when they've never submitted their lives to him they're still spiritually dead. Agreeing with those facts saves nobody. You know, you can believe you can fly. You can go to the nearest 30-story building, jump off, and gravity will prove that you cannot fly. So, you come to the top of the building, you have faith, so you leap. Leaping plus gravity equals a dumb, dead guy. No matter how much faith you have in thinking you can fly, the reality is you will find out that you cannot. No matter how much faith somebody has in thinking that Jesus Christ is the way for me, but there's other spokes to the hub that lead to God, if you believe that, you're just as deceived. Jesus is the only way. He said it, not me. If you believe that there's any other source of salvation outside the finished work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, you're spiritually dead this morning. You're dead. You're a walking dead man or dead woman. I plead with you to listen carefully to this glorious gospel message that you hear today. Gospel means good news. The reason there's good is because there's really bad news. God's standard to get to heaven has never changed and it's absolute perfection. Sin is not necessarily what you have done, it's what you haven't done. And what you haven't done is lived a flawless, sinless, perfect life in word, thought, and deed. Therefore, there must be payment for that sin and that's everlasting separation from God for eternity. That's hell. 
That's why the good news is so good. The good news is that Jesus Christ came out of heaven, became a human being, met the standard of the Father, died the sinner's death, died and rose from the dead. Because you can't kill God. That's the gospel. In one who entrusts themselves fully and completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you'll see a changed life. Salvation and the assurance thereof is one walks by faith. So, the shield of faith is not any silly faith. This faith here is the substance of the faith. The source of our faith. It's the logos, it's the word, it's Jesus. Jesus Christ, the word of God. The word. Faith here is putting all of your trust in God according to his word. This is radical openness to God that allows for Christ's full indwelling. Firm and determined dependence. And it's granted to us by grace. I was watching CNN with my son here the other night, Friday night about 11, midnight. Anderson Cooper had a show on what is Christianity or who is a Christian or something like that. They did a good job. It's not a wonder that there's so many confused people around and what professing Christians claim Christianity to be and it's everything but what the Bible declares. It's not a wonder, Jesus said, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice iniquity. I never knew you. Never at all at any time did I know you. You got people running around on emotionalism, hooting and hollering, making fools of themselves, and they're blaming it on God, the Holy Spirit. Things that are contrary to Scripture. Things that are contrary to sound doctrine. And they blame it on the Holy Spirit. Oh, holy laughter. Yeah, I was taken over by the Holy Spirit. No, you weren't. I was drunk in the Spirit. No, you weren't. You were a fool given to his folly is what you were. After that show, or just prior to that show, was um, a highlight on the show that's going to come out in Discovery Channel in a few days, I guess. That they've, did you know they found the bones of Jesus in a box? <laughs> and Mary and Joseph, too. So, so they found Jesus' bones. And his son. And I was actually at the gym with my son earlier that day, and someone came up to me and recognized me, and we spoke, and said, hey, um, I'd like to talk to you about this. It's like, what are your thoughts about it? I go, thoughts? I don't even think about it. It's a joke. It's, it's the same lie repackaged 2,000 years after the fact. And the reality was that this is a Christian. If a Christian is rocked by something like this, they're not steeped in the faith. If you think that they found Jesus' bones in a box, you don't show up here next week because you have no hope. <laughs> we are here on Sunday, the first day of the week, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the hope we have. He defeated death and sin on your behalf. Come on. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Just listen to this. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Same lie. First century church, right? And today, same lie. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So you guys are fools for being here and I'm even a greater fool for preaching this. If he has not risen. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Anybody who's swayed or rocked by such a foolish scientific approach to the fact that they found Jesus' bones, you're still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who've died in faith in Christ, those who've fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. So all of those of Hebrews chapter 11, they're all in hell if Jesus did not raise from the dead. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, pathetic, morons the most the most pathetic the most sorrowful the greatest fools on the earth we're gathered here today as well as others around the world who profess Jesus Christ they're fools if he has not risen from the dead the faith that serves to protect us in spiritual warfare is not to be confused with mere knowledge this is transforming faith. Transforming us into agents of faith because of His grace. The only reason that you believe... You, when, you, when you think about your salvation, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, you do not say, God, I hope you're pleased with my intellect, right? <laughs> that out of all the gods offered in this world, I chose you. You don't do that, do you? No! You thank Him that you're saved by grace because He chose you. Right? When you think about your salvation, you thank Him. You don't tell Him how great you are for choosing Him. He chose you. And if He chose you, He called you. If He called you, He granted faith. And if He granted you faith, He wants to uphold you in that faith. And He's imparted to you this whole armor so that you can stand and resist temptation by the faith that you have. Going back to the substance of our faith, which is Jesus Christ Himself. And if your life hasn't been transformed yet you profess Christ, you're probably still a dead man, a dead woman. Because if you believe the facts, and like I said earlier, if you haven't submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ where there's no fruit as to your profession, you're like the demons. And James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God, you do well. But even the demons believe. And you know what they do? They tremble because their theology is flawless. They know theology. theology proper they know it and the reason they tremble is because they know it people who don't tremble or have a godly reverent fear who profess Jesus Christ as Paul said examine thyself to even see if you're in the faith but we as believers saved by grace upheld in grace must apply the armor that God has supplied I can't wear yours you can't wear mine I can't wear your belt of truth. I can't walk out your faith. I can't stand in the confidence that you have security and peace with God that's everlasting. I can't walk out your righteousness. I can't pull up the shield for you and you can't pull it up for me. 
But the stronger we are individually, the more unified we are as one in Christ. And then we can be the wall that walks forward with shields of faith up. Amen? And then the, the, blaze, the, 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 the missiles come coming. They come firing at the wall and they're just quenched. Quenched. Because of the substance. If you're a believer here today, now many of us fall into times of anxiety and confusion and fear, amen? We all do. That's why we go back to the foot of the cross and confess and repent. And if you're a believer, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, right? That's the daily washing we all need. But if you're a believer and you're controlled by anxiety and you're absolutely gripped in fear and confusion, you're in sin. And it needs to be repented of. Because what it reveals is that I don't trust God if I'm controlled by it. That I don't listen and heed to God's promises. But all I listen to is myself and the lies of the devil. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for what? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, by the way, make your request be made known to God. And the result is, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, your thinking and your emotions. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The only person that can diligently seek God is someone who's in Christ. That's you. And that's me. Those who are outside of Christ, if they're the Lord's, He will compel them to Himself. And he will bring them to the place of repentance and belief. He promises that. So the devil attempts to deceive us into doubting God. Hath the Lord really said? That's a lie of the devil. Has God really said, right? Same lie. It's always repackaged differently. I mean, think about this. Satan had the goal to tempt God incarnate in Matthew chapter 4 to doubt his father. And if he had the goal to, to tempt the Son of the living God, don't think for a minute he won't tempt you to do the same thing. I, I, that blows me away every time I think about it. Satan had the guts to face the Son of God and tempt him to doubt the Father. Amazing. But faith... This is the shield. Faith means trusting God, trusting His Word, trusting His death, trusting His resurrection, as well as His promises throughout Scripture. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Just, you can jot these down. Just listen to them. Just let them saturate you. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. A shield. Covering. He's a covering. Psalm 3, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. Psalm 5, verse 12, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. Psalm 18, verse 30, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's your God. 
That's my God. That's our God. That's our Savior. That's the source of our faith. The substance of our faith. It's not an empty faith. This is real faith. Living faith. The substance thereof. The living one. The everlasting one, Jesus Christ. To trust in His promises, brothers and sisters, the only way to quench the fiery darts of temptation is to trust in His promises. Above all, we've got that. Taking, we've got that. The shield of faith, we've got that. Why? With which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts. Notice the guarantee. You will be able to what? Quench. How many? All of them. All of the fiery darts. The shield makes it possible, but we must take it up in order for the possibility to become what? Reality. For it to become reality, to quench the fiery darts. Fiery darts. In ancient battle, there were these long pieces of cane, and they would fill them with flammable material. Set them afire and shoot them at the enemy. They also would take arrows or spears and they would wrap a cotton material around the end of it. They would dip it in pitch and they would light a line of fire. You would have a line of warriors. They would light a line of fire. You would have all of these arrows dipped in pitch. They would put them on their bow. They would bend over, set them afire, and they would all shoot at whatever they were shooting at. A ship, a wooden structure, and the enemy that's coming at them. And when this pitch, when they would shoot this arrow, this flammable pitch would burn long and it would burn hot. So when it hit whatever it was going to hit, it would splatter the pitch. And anything that wasn't protected, it started it on fire. Spreading to everything. So if a guy's coming with his shield, or armies coming with their shields, and these shields are unprotected, all of that which was splattered would, would, would start the shield on fire and then you have a soldier in panic. He, he's holding something that's blazing and he would throw it in panic and run and then you now he's an open target. Yeah, he's a dead man. Dead man. Now, spiritually speaking, the fiery darts represent sudden temptation that you don't see coming. Sudden temptation that you do not see coming. Now as we grow in Christ, we know our weaknesses. Amen? And if we have any wisdom about us, which we ought to have as Christians, we don't go into areas or places that will cause us to stumble. Amen? Okay. Now that's having wisdom. We know not to go there because that's not going to glorify God and I'm not strong in that area. I may fall prey, P-R-E-Y, to that temptation. These fiery darts, these are temptations you do not see coming. You do not see them company, seeing coming at all. This is temptation to do wrong in the moment. This is a temptation of unbelief in the moment. This is the temptation, brothers and sisters, to have blasphemous thoughts about your Savior. You ever had those? If you think you're the only one, man, I've thought blasphemous things about the sovereign God who I love dearly. Everybody has. And if these, these fiery darts are not quenched, 
they'll eventually wound and burn and torment your soul with guilt and shame. Now, there's other kinds of temptations. All of these, they come suddenly, like arrows from a bow, on fire. They come unexpected. They're shot from enemies. If you think about a real battle, about an enemy lying in wait. You're skipping down the road and there's trees on both sides and you're Mr. and Mrs. Christian. Think about Pilgrim's Progress and you're just strutting along, kicking a little rock and you're like whistling, you know, it is well with my soul. And then all of a sudden... Lying in wait, you don't even see them. That's the idea. Sudden temptation. They pierce and penetrate and torment the soul. You know what they do? They want to set ablaze fiery passion. They want to set ablaze the worst passion. Just like Darts would set apart a set a fire, a wood structure, a ship, a camp. These these things come firing up. Here, here, here's, here's another thing that happens, practically speaking, in your everyday life. They're fired to excite greediness within you. To excite and rile up evil passion. To rile up pride. Vanity. Consumption for worldly success. Masquerading self. Not walking is a sinner saved by grace. Puffing self up. Looking down the nose. Lifting the chin. Fiery temptation will also come to inflame dissatisfaction of your life. dissatisfaction with the circumstances of your life, no matter how good they may be. Amen? Have we all been at all these places, right? Hopefully I'm not the only one. As a matter of fact, any blasphemous thoughts that might fire in your mind about the Lord who you know you love and the Lord who you know saved you, take that to God. Take it to Him. Just confess it, Lord. I don't know where these thoughts are coming from, but Lord, they're not of you and they're not of my soul because I love you, Lord. Please, please help me quench these things. It happened to me. I remember for a period of time in the first year I was saved. These wicked thoughts about the Lord who, 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 who I know, who knew loved me and died for me and who I loved and, and couldn't, couldn't wait each day just to go glorify His name. And these things just run through your head and pretty soon just disappeared, you know? It's faith. We must beg, plead with God because he, he wants this union to be strengthened. It's an everlasting union, but that can't be broken, but He wants the communion to be strengthened. You can't mess up your union with Christ if you're in Christ, right? It's like this. We can mess up what though? Communion. Fellowship. Fellowship. Your marriage, you have an everlasting union, or it should be, if you have an everlasting union with your spouse, you took vows of an everlasting union. You can get in a fight and have disagreements and your communion could be messed up, but your union is still secure, right? It should be. I know we've 
Many of us have been divorced. Some of you have been divorced. Just, but you get the idea. God's grace abounds. Amen? His grace abounds. You're getting the picture of the union and communion. They come firing. You won't expect it. Hiding out. You turn the corner. I don't think I've been hit with more flaming darts of temptation in a long time than I have this week. Like just, you turn a corner, there's a fiery temptation to like, like somebody did something I need to deal with. And man, I just wanted to pick up, I just wanted to go to town. Not physically. Verbally. But I just wrote the things down, I let it go. Because I knew I had to do that by what? Faith. Because me responding in the state of mind that I was in, I would have been in sin. I already sinned in my head. I already sinned in my thinking, so I had to repent there first. Did that by faith, you see? But that fiery darts just come shooting at me. They shot at me for a few days, as well as some other things. They will come. Above all, taking immediate the shield of faith, of which you will be able, guarantee, to quench all the fiery temptations that come at you when you least expect it. Which are what? They're of who? They're of the wicked one. Fiery darts of the wicked. Paul here refers to temptations of our great adversary, Satan and demonic forces of evil. But all they can do, believer, all they can do is tempt you. Satan has no power over you as a believer to do evil except that which you allow him territory. Did you know that? If you're in Christ, to fall into sin, to fall prey to temptations, He has no power over you except that which you allow Him to have. Look at James chapter 1. Now, everyone is tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Do we understand that? Okay, temptation itself is not a sin. You will be tempted. If you're a believer, you will be tempted. Was Jesus tempted? Did he ever sin? No. Could he have sinned? No, he couldn't have. He was God incarnate. He couldn't sin. He was tempted. So we know temptation is not a sin. Temptation will come. It's a guarantee. But when it does come, and if we fall prey to it, don't blame God. Because James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Okay, a couple interesting terms here. This word drawn away, it's a word that means to, to lure a wild animal into a baited trap. Bait. Lure them in with it. The word enticed is a fishing term. You have a hunting term. Lure them in. Drawn away. And then the fishing term enticed or entangled means to be hooked. To be enwrapped in a net or hooked. So we notice temptation comes. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away. Temptation grows. The fire comes. And if we don't quench it right away by faith, what happens to the fire? It's a bigger, bigger, and bigger. And then you're consumed. And then, then there's a three-alarm fire. You're consumed. 
and I fall prey to it. No reason to shake the fist at God because when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. But notice he says, we're all tempted when we're drawn away. We're lured away like a wild animal into a baited trap because of the sin that's still in us. And if we lend ourselves to it, pretty soon we'll be like a fish caught in a hook entangled in a net. And then sin, when it's conceived, notice conception, it's conceived. If I step outside of walking by faith, I'm being lured away. And then the fiery arrow of temptation gets mixed with my, my, that, that sin that's still in me. And then I, then sin is conceived. And then not only does it hurt me, it dishonors God, it hurts others around me. It can affect others around me. Like blazing suggestions of evil, these fiery darts. Stimulation to sin. He wants to throw it in your mind like a dart. This is the wicked one. John 8.44 says that the devil is a what? A liar. He's a liar. The temptation is to, to, dist- to get us to distrust God. When we do that, the devil gets all the credit, you see? Genesis 15.1, God said to Abram, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. So many Christians walk in fear. They go by what they see. They go by what they feel. They go by what they've experienced in the past. God says, let me be your strength. Forget those things that are behind and look forward, right? The upward call of Christ. Run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us of fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The only way to meet these kind of temptations is by the shield of faith. Confidence in God. Replying to, submitting ourselves to the promises of His Word. The promises of what He's written. Not in our own strength. You don't have the strength. You're defenseless in and of yourself. Charles Hodge, great theologian, Princeton for 50 some years before Princeton went upside down. He said this, and I quote, It is only by looking at Christ and earnestly invoking His interposition on our behalf that we can resist these insidious assaults which inflame evil without the warning of pain. Pain is a good thing. Pain is our friend. It's a mechanism that detects that something's wrong in our body. Some people who've had brain tumors they have pain, massive pain in their head and they would never know that they have a tumor unless the pain was there that sends them running to the emergency room and they give them a brain scan and find out that they have a brain tumor and they go to work to try to remove it. These fiery darts, no pain. They're just so quick, they're so fast. You've got to have the shield, man. You've got to be walking like this. Right? Awake and alert like a warrior. A warrior. You know, Christians today, they just... They're floating around and it's Jesus on Sunday, sometimes on Wednesday, and Jesus isn't consuming them in every facet of their life. So they're just picked off, man. They're picked off. They're picked off. That's why the church is, is portrayed as it is on CNN. Faithless. Then you've got a pastor up in Colorado Springs who's leading a flock of thousands. 
doing drugs on the weekend, meeting up with some homosexual lover. Okay? A pastor. But God reveals the sin in His church. God purges out sin because judgment must begin in the house of God first. The world's doing what, they're, what they do because the, the world, we're overcomers. We no longer need to be subject to such bondage, amen? And we have faith. We have faith to quench these, these firing arrows. These arrows come, it would be t- like taking a candle. If I had a candle in my hand right now and I heaved it, all you people would move first, and I would heave it against the wall. What happens to the flame? Goes out. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. In his commentary on Ephesians, John MacArthur tells a story about John Patton. While he was translating the Bible for a South Seas Island tribe, he discovered that they had no word for trust or faith. And one day a native who had been running hard came into the missionary's house, flopped himself into a large chair, and he said, Ah, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. Patton goes, that's it. That's it. I'll translate faith as resting one's whole weight on God. Resting all that I am and all of my thinking on the authoritative, inerrant, everlasting Word of God. The only thing that will not ever change. Ever. Heaven and earth will change. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The universe is going to be rolled up like a scroll. But my word will stand forever, said the Lord. So the shield is complete trust in the trustworthy one. 1 Peter 5.8, as I get ready to wrap up. Be self-controlled and alert. This is to believers. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. He's looking to devour believers. Because he's also already got the world deceived. So he's going to attack God's people because the greatest thing that brings glory to God is salvation. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, many times we look at salvation as a means to our own end, that we get to go to heaven. But the, the end of salvation is the glory of God, the means of which is sinners saved by grace. If we change our perspective, our faith will be increased and our walk will have a new perspective. That being an eternal perspective. It's for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.13, Drew read from it this morning. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Well, see right there, God produces temptation. No, He doesn't. God enables trials to come into your life for the shape of honing you and growing you in the grace and knowledge of Him to trust Him. The devil comes when the trial is granted you in your life, and the devil comes in an attempt to turn the trial into a temptation so that we don't trust God. We trust the shortcut presented on a silver platter looking good from the devil. Right? He magnifies your problems a hundredfold. 
You can see your problems just magnified. They're much bigger than they are, really. And you're so focused on them, you don't see anyone else outside yourself. All you see is you and your problems. He'll leave the way of escape. Sometimes you have to put on those Nikes and run. (laughs) And run. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. If you want to overcome temptation, you, overcome temptation, you must trust what he says. And to trust what he says, you have to know what he says and you have to know what it means by what it says because he's trustworthy. Just as the balloon overcame gravity, you overcome sin and temptation because of the great overcomer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke twenty two thirty one, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, on the night before the night that he was to be arrested, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Perhaps you've fallen to those fiery darts of temptation in the past, and you fell hard and you fell deep. You're here today. God's restored you. You're strengthened in the faith. Help your brothers and sisters. Strengthen the brethren. Luke twenty-two forty-six. Jesus said to them, the disciples, on the night that he was to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into what? Temptation. Christians, we must, ar- we must raise up out of these spiritual naps that we take by just floating through life. Jesus on Sunday. No, it's Jesus 24-7. Again, John Owen as I close. I quote John Owen on his great classic writing on a mortification of sin in a believer's life. He said, and I quote, Watch then to understand early and in due time the snares that are laid for you. To understand the advantages of your enemy and that he has against you before they get strength and power before they are incorporated with your own lusts. The devil knows your weaknesses. He knows my weaknesses and have distilled poison into your soul. The fiery darts of temptation, he's just looking for an open spot. Anything open on you. That one place of weakness for you, he shoots it at you. He wants to mix it with our own lustful desires and pretty soon you know the whole thing's aflame. And then you walk through and you get crushed in the sin and you know you brought no glory to God and you're crushed and you're repentant and you're broken and you're sorrowful and it burns and torments the soul. And then the devil comes and goes, see man, you're not even saved. How can you call yourself a Christian? And now you slip up because you can't stand confident in the shoes of the gospel of peace, right? You call yourself a Christian? It's the lies of the enemy. And then he has us rocking and rolling and then he has us swayed by every wind of doctrine, right? He's a liar. It's a murderer. I'm going to ask the guys to get ready to take, pass out communion, but I want you to please to keep listening here for a couple minutes as they prepare. Now, without saving faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't have saving faith in Jesus Christ, you have no shield at all. You have no shield. You're helpless. You're defenseless. The only resource you have is that of yourself. So if you claim to have faith and the substance of your faith is not Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, I bid you, I beseech you to repent of unbelief and to call on Christ today 
Because if he's compelling you and he's gripping your soul and placing conviction deep upon you, repent. Believe. That's the human responsibility side. We're called to repent and believe. Entrust yourself fully and completely to him. Then you'll be granted the faith, not only to believe, but to live. Any other belief outside of the true gospel of Jesus Christ is nothing but a lie from the pit of hell. And you've got to remember this. Satan masquerades himself as an angel of what? Light. The guy laying face down in the gutter with a swastika carved in his forehead is not a proper representation of Satan, though he's the cause of that. He appears as an angel of light. So as we prepare to take communion this morning, I want you, as they're handing it out, I want you to listen to Romans, I mean Hebrews chapter 4, and listen to this glorious promise, brothers and sisters in Christ today. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Just let this wash your mind and soul. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of, let's hear it, grace. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Are you in need today, believer? Are you in need because you feel as though you're faithless? Are you in need because you keep slipping in the same mire? Call out to Him. Because He's there. He's the source and substance of your faith today. Come boldly to the throne of grace.